Are you excited to graduate from college, but worried that you might have to interact with people whose race and wealth differs from your own? Well, if you've got this anxiety, if you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking about this, Columbia University has the answer for you. They are holding six multicultural segregated graduation ceremonies. Because I think that's the best way to show those rich white racists uh, is to uh, separate them from all the other races and all, all the other income groups. That is segregation for social justice. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Fernando Diaz 7, who says he's pretty sure Don Lemon is not Catholic. So why does he care about what the Pope says on marriage? Why doesn't he speak up on what other religions have to say? For example, Islam. Ah, you've realized what this is all about. You've, you've seen what this is all really about. When there are attacks on Christianity broadly and specifically on the Catholic church, it, it is usually not because of the actual issue at stake. It is usually simply an attack on the church as the basis of and an avatar for the West. So the Quran says that if people commit homosexual acts, they should be punished and harmed. Doesn't matter. Actually, ironically, what you'll often see is the left embracing Islamists. It's always as part of a broader attack on the West. This is how you could have people like Linda Sarsour holding hands with Gloria Steinem at the Women's March. These two gals might have pretty different views of the world, but they both dislike the West. They want to upend our culture. And so they're going to join together. This is what you see in the process of political correctness. On the one hand, we're told, yes, sex is totally fixed. And if you've got certain desires, you can't change them. Born this way. That's why we have to get rid of the old definition of marriage. Then at the next breath, they'll say, actually, there's no such thing as sex. Men can become women. It doesn't matter. But that's why also we need to get rid of our old ideas about sex and marriage. Opposite ideas, but it's a purely negative campaign to attack the West. Can't take it at face value because it's not in good faith. You know who uh, also do not act in good faith? Cyber criminals, which is why you got to check out LifeLock. The IRS issued an urgent warning about a new scam to steal the electronic filing identification numbers from tax professionals over email. Cyber criminals can use this information to file fraudulent tax returns. Tax professionals should be aware of the latest phishing scams, but individuals also should take steps to protect themselves. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they will send you an alert. I used to think this kind of stuff doesn't matter. Now, look, if, you, if you've been watching the way that uh, technology has developed and technology companies have developed over the past couple years, and you still don't believe cybersecurity is a big problem demanding your attention, I don't know if I can help you. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. Join now, save up to 25% off your first year by going to lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. That's lifelock.com slash Knowles to save 25%. Columbia really is hosting six separate graduation ceremonies to segregate students based on their race 
and their wealth. Now, uh, from what I gather this year, the graduation ceremony is going to be, the commencement ceremony is going to be online. It's going to be on Zoom. So people are going to be paying those exorbitant fees as they have for a year and they're not going to be getting in-person education. They're going to be, uh, they've completed their Zoom year. Now they're going to have a Zoom graduation. The, the university is now trying to clarify what exactly is going on. So they, they released a statement pointing out that these graduation ceremonies exist in addition to, not instead of, university-wide commencement and individual school class days. These uh, events are voluntary and they're open to every student. Now, how does that make any sense? What do you mean they're open to every student? They are segregated on the basis of race and income, but they're open to every student. And I guess legally this has to be true. So they'll say, yes, you know, the black student graduation is open to every student. But do you think that if you're a white guy and you show up to the black student graduation that you're going to be welcomed into that event? No, probably not. You, you, as a legal matter, you, they might have to let you in. But the whole point of the event is to exclude people of other races. But that's not legal, so they have to have these little caveats. I, I think it's the sort of way that if, if I were at college right now and I wanted to join the African American Center or the Latino Center, I don't know, the Latinx now, I guess is what it's called, or La Raza is what it used to be called. Uh, talk about racism. <laughs> that's like, the organization is actually called The Race. But if I wanted to join one of these ethnic interest groups, I, I think legally they have to let me in because we're in this country, not, not supposed to have racial discrimination, certainly at, uh, publicly funded places. But as, as a practical matter, I, you know, something tells me I'm not getting elected president of the AFAM house or, or, or chairman of La Raza. Uh, also the fact that this is voluntary and it's in addition to how does this make it any better? I, I guess it may marginally, it makes it better, but it's still so degraded. I remember this from my own graduation from college, which was not that long ago. I graduated, I guess it was kind of long ago now, nine years ago. I was there, you know, all the students are there and all the different dorms and residential colleges and different schools. And I noticed some students had on these weird shawls and some, one was in a sort of kente print, a sort of African type print. And that that one was the most obvious because you noticed it was black students wearing the kente print not all black students, but everyone who was wearing the print was a black student. And, you know, some other people had different kinds of shawls on. And I thought, is that a particular, uh, you know, honor society? Is that a particular distinction? Maybe if you graduated cum laude or this or that. And then I realized, no, the shawls that you, that these people were wearing at their graduation were not representative of any academic achievement whatsoever. They were just representative of race. And you think, my goodness gracious, you go to a place like Columbia, you know, you get in, it's not an easy school to get into. All these Ivy League schools are much, much harder to get into than they, than they are to graduate. Once you're in, you basically can do whatever you want. It, uh, I, w- I was told when I was interviewing for college that it would take an act of violence <laughs> to be booted out of a place like Yale or Harvard. And I think that's probably true, but still, you know, whatever you got into it, you know, and you made it all the way through and you've gone through all your courses and you've done all your work and maybe you've worked a job, well, you've, and you, right, you've, you've achieved something, hopefully, at least it used to stand for something. And at your graduation day, the thing you most want to focus on, the thing you're, you're most proud of, you're wearing it in front of you, is the color of your skin. That is so 
sad. It's so pathetic. And they, they were doing this at the universities years ago. I mean, now, you know, nine, 10 years ago, how much crazier this has gotten now that there are separate graduation ceremonies. It's really, really offensive to consider the most important aspect of one's character be, to be one's race. But this is all we hear. There was a, a new breaking news headline that uh, we now have our first Native American cabinet secretary. Wow. Deb Holland has been approved by the Senate to lead the U.S. Department of the Interior. This is part of Joe Biden's campaign to, quote, ensure tribes have a seat at the table at the highest levels of the federal government. By the way, Joe, I think that ship sailed, okay? I think you know, it's a little too little too late if we're talking about uh, treaties with the Native Americans. But this is being pushed as a sort of woke moment. We finally, isn't it about damn time that we have a Native American cabinet secretary? Except we've already had not a Native American cabinet secretary. We had a Native American vice president almost a hundred years ago. Charles Curtis, vice president from 1929 to 1933. Senate majority leader before that. Congressman before that. A Republican, I would note. This was not considered a huge breakthrough at the time. Charles Curtis's Native American ancestry and tribal claims and physical appearance. The guy looked like a Native American. That was not considered particularly important. He had his, he, he put his importance in what he did, in what he accomplished in his career. But because we've become so frivolous as a society, we no longer do that. It's all just me, me, me. It has nothing to do with our actions. It's just our own, our own inner sense of virtue that we can only really trace to our most superficial physical characteristics. But this is part of a larger strategy of indoctrination, and it is taking place on university campuses at some of the top university campuses in the country. YAF, the Young America's Foundation, with whom I, uh, I do my campus speaking tour, back when campus speaking tours still existed. Hopefully they're going to start again now that the psycho politicians are letting people go back to school. Yaf just uncovered a video. This comes from Princeton Theological Seminary that shows just a little bit of the diversity re-education classes that all these students are being subjected to. Dr. Ibram X. Kendi states the work of anti-racism is to identify, describe, and dismantle. Wherever you are in the continuum the two pandemics demand that we reimagine our society and indeed our seminary beyond our current structures and practices. I also think that knowing that every member of our institution has committed themselves to this work offers a powerful testimony to our broader seminary community that we recognize anti-racism formation is a critical component of Christian discipleship and witness that this work of doing justice is ongoing. I think the anti-racism affirms a holistic theology, right? It acknowledges and when we acknowledge that this is an issue that's part of our theological understanding, that it's part of our theology and praxis for the future of the church, what a gift. I'm excited that it's not a program, that it's being embedded as a way of life in our company community understanding. There it is. Not just a program, not just a course, not just something you tell like, hey, don't be a jerk to people of other races. 
it is being embedded. It is being made the sort of central fact. And this at Princeton Theological Seminary, right? So they're supposed to be studying religion. And what is, what is true about it is uh, racism is an affront to human dignity. You know, to hate people on the basis of their race is an affront to human dignity, and that's why it's wrong. It's not the center of the Christian faith. This is not the center of religious life. Chesterton famously said that uh, heresy is not the promotion of vice over virtue, but it's the promotion of one virtue to the exclusion of all the others. That's how I feel about the anti-racism thing. I'm not, I'm not even totally going to just dismiss it out of hand. I do want to take the idea seriously. And I do think that there is such a thing as hatred for people based on their race. And I do, and I do think that's wrong. And, you know, we should, we shouldn't do that. That's makes perfect sense. But to make that the center, to make that the idol of your religion is to lose your religion. This, this is the problem. You know, when you make idols out of these things that are good in their proper place, then uh, you, you distort our view of the world. The state is a good thing, right? The state gives us law and order, and that's how we all get along in society. But when you exalt that into an idol, you get statism. Uh, we've uh, Free markets, for instance, that's a good thing uh, as an instrument to human flourishing individuality, good thing to human flourishing. But when you make an idol out of it, you get individualism, right? You, so you don't want, you want these things in their proper place. This is part of a strategy that the left is using to upend our, our society. And, and it's taking place largely at the universities. And it, uh, it doesn't have very much to do with reality. You'll notice there's a big divergence between what we're being told, this is a white supremacist, horrible country. All the black people are being killed. They're being hunted down, as a famous athlete said, every time they leave their homes. And the reality of it, we'll, we'll get into the reality of that in just one second. But first, you know, you might wonder why I look so rested, why I feel so good in the morning. It's because of Bolin Branch. Bolin Branch makes the absolute softest organic sheets on the market. Bar none, that's it. Punto e basta, as we say in Italian. Comfort is not their only standard. They use 100% sustainable raw materials. The signature hemmed sheets from Bolin Branch are a bestseller for a reason. Uh, they're not too hot. They're not too cool. The perfect year-round sheets for most sleepers. I, on occasion, have gotten to stay at very nice high-end hotels, almost exclusively when someone else is picking up the tab. But I've gotten to do it. And the first thing I noticed about really nice high-end hotels it's the sheets. It's the bedding. It's just better. Me, especially in my bachelor days, I would basically sleep on sandpaper, whatever the cheapest sheets were. Then I tried Bolin Branch. Bolin Branch is like sleeping at a five-star hotel every single night. Experience the best sheets you've ever felt. BolinBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code Michael at checkout. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. Put in promo code Michael. You will not regret it. I promise you it's going to be the greatest sheets you've ever slept on. BolinBranch.com, promo code Michael. Do you want to know what institutional racism really looks like? Right, we're always to told about institutional racism, and that's like, they mean anti-black racism specifically, or anti-Mexican, or anti-Indian, or whatever. I'm referring to the Native Americans, not the other, but I guess the other Indians too. You realize, of course, that the left controls all of the institutions, right? Big tech, higher education, lower education, the administrative state, the on and on in Hollywood, right? So if they control all the institutions and there is institutional racism, that would be a problem for the left. And we see this in the media. Here's some institutional racism. There was a story just came out of Rochester. Two black teens 
uh, burned a mentally ill white guy to death. Rochester, New York. The two black teens have been charged with assault and arson. I'm not sure if they were charged with murder. Uh, They snuck into the guy's home on Friday afternoon. They sprayed him with an ignitable fluid and they set him on fire until 70% of his body was covered in second degree burns. Then they left him to die. Uh, But thankfully, a uh, a man, maybe it might have been a mailman or or a worker who was checking on the gas and the electric, uh, came into the the apartment, tried to put put him out, put the, the guy who was on fire, put him out. By the time 911 got there, though, it was too late. Uh, the, the victim fought for his life for four days in a burn trauma unit, and then he died. A police source has confirmed the original reporting, which came from Bob Lonsberry, uh, has confirmed that to the Daily Wire. You probably haven't heard of this story. If the races were reversed, this would be a national, actually an international news story. And the teens would be called white supremacists, and they would certainly go to prison for life and likely receive the death penalty. Uh, this, there would be marches in the streets. There would, if 2020 is any indication, there would be riots all over the streets. Uh, stores would be broken into. People would be stealing private property in the name of social justice. Cities would be on fire. But the races are reversed here. So not, not only is none of that happening, but none of that's happening in large part well, none, none of it would happen anyway, but one of the reasons none of it's happening is because the media just won't cover it. Are these kids being charged with a hate crime? I don't know. What is a hate crime? Hate crime, sort of a, a silly phrase. It's a silly idea. The idea that, you know, a cer- certain crimes are lo- hate crimes. So presumably other crimes are love crimes. I don't, I don't know about that. Certain crimes are lukewarm crimes, maybe. Uh, but the idea that you should receive a harsher sentence because of your motivations and that, that somehow the jury will be able to discern with specificity all of your motivations and then be able to mete out a just punishment based on that. Uh, You're not hearing about any of that. It's going to be swept under the rug. Was it racist? I don't know. Maybe. Certainly psychopathic. Why these two teenagers are going to be permitted into society ever again is beyond me, but that's the society that we live in. Here's another story. This one came out of the Tennessean. You know, now I am a Tennessean here in Nashville. So I saw this story. Mom says woman killed in police shootout had troubled childhood. No opportunity for change now. Okay. Uh, Okay. I'm not, notice here in this headline, I'm not getting any details about what actually happened. Here's what I know from the headline. The police killed this woman and she had a hard childhood. Okay. Now, because I'm seeing all these excuses in the headline, I'm going into this and I'm thinking, this woman must've done something really bad because if you're loading up all the excuses and clouding up all the details in the headline, you know, this is what, whatever this woman did is really bad. Turns out I was right. The mother of a 31 year old woman who died Friday after an exchange of gunfire, doesn't say who shot first, doesn't say who pulled the gun first, an exchange of gunfire with a Nashville police officer, says her daughter was wrong for pulling a gun. Oh, oh, you don't say pulling a gun on the cop. Well, maybe the cop was shooting at her first. You think that was, nobody thinks that's what happened, but still in the story, it's still possible that that's what happened. But Lisa Holbert Gooch, who took in her niece, Nika Holbert at age eight and adopted the girl and her younger siblings, 
said she is disturbed by the actions of the Metro Nashville police officer who stopped Holberg. Okay. Well, what, what she just, she's saying, okay, yeah, the the girl shouldn't have pulled a gun and tried to shoot cops, but you know, they kind of had it coming because they had some very disturbing actions. Okay. What were those actions? Gooch questions whether officer Josh Baker followed basic traffic stop safety protocols leading up to the deadly shooting. While police chief John Drake said Saturday, he believes Baker handled the situation properly. She didn't have to die and he didn't have to get shot, Gooch said in an interview. As she watched video of the deadly incident recorded on Baker's body camera, Gooch said she was concerned for both the officer and her daughter as she saw Holbert exiting the vehicle at the start of the traffic stop. So, okay, now that we're saying that the problem here is that the, not that the cop did anything wrong, but that the woman, when she was pulled over at the traffic stop, got out of her car. Why was she out of her car? Gooch said, I don't know. That's a question for her. That's not a question for the cops. Explaining she's always understood that police don't typically allow someone to exit the car as an officer approaches. Holbert fled a parking lot Friday morning at the intersection of Bridge Church Pike and Ewing Drive after shooting Baker in the torso. Having sustained injuries from the gunfire, Holbert crashed roughly a block away before being pronounced dead. So they watch the footage and then they talk more about this, the life, you know, and the mother and this sort of how terrible it all is and how unfortunate it all is. Gooch said she was stunned to see Baker searching Holbert's belongings without appearing to take precautions to remain in control of the situation. And after he determined she was not the man Baker was seeking uh, in the first place. Now, uh, what was happening here? Uh, This woman was driving a car that belonged to a man with outstanding arrest warrants on felony drug charges. So the guy pulls her over. Apparently, uh, Holbert, this in the article, Holbert repeatedly ignored some of Baker's commands as he attempted to remain cordial with her. The officer declined to stop her while she went back into the car multiple times to retrieve various items. It's like he let her do what she wanted to do, Gooch said. The officer is now being accused of inappropriate behavior because he gave her the opportunity to shoot him. That's, that was the inappropriate, terrible thing for which this officer should be investigated is he wasn't harsh enough with her. Now, if he had been too harsh, there would be riots, right? There would, if they were too harsh, you would have extortionist organizations like BLM coming down and, sh- and shaking down corporate America for tens of millions more in donations. And you'd hear this, that he was a racist. But so he doesn't do that. He's actually too lenient. And now this woman and the newspaper are accusing him of in- inappropriate behavior because he was too lenient. Why'd you let her shoot you? How, how wrong of you to let her shoot you? If the races were reversed, the story would not read that way. That is an institutional sort of racism. That is the sort of thing we see in our media. And it, it is simply why when you hear these claims from these hucksters, people like Robin D'Angelo, who is making untold sums of money as a race hustler, people like Ibram Kendi, when you hear them talk about institutional racism, you, you want to say, yes, there is, there are institutional racial problems. No question. There is affirmative action, right? That which disadvantages certain people based on their race and gives advantages to other people solely based on their race. And there are, I mean, even beyond that, there are racial issues in the country. No question about it. Racial issues that are being inflamed by people such as D'Angelo and Kendi and by the mainstream media. 
which never, ever plays fair. But it's because in this country, the absolute worst thing you can be called is a racist. It's, it's why the whole institutional racism thing is so important to the left. It's why they're trying to push this indoctrination. It's the worst thing you can possibly be called in this country. I think that's an evidence, by the way, that it's not a white supremacist country, right? Is that the worst thing you could be called as a white supremacist. So it's, and the, the only race that you're allowed to smear in public that you're actually encouraged to are white people and specifically white guys, right? That's why there's no patriarchy. The only group that you're able to smear is dudes. So you, you've got all of this built in and it, it bleeds into other areas of public policy as well. Speaking of law enforcement challenges, we now have a record number of migrant kids in custody at the Southern border. Remember, but Biden said uh, that uh, if you voted for Trump, we we're, we're going to get all these extra kids in cages. Well, that was true. I voted for Trump and we have more kids in cages, 300% higher than previously known at the Southern border. But because of our bizarre uh, racial ideology that the left is pushing, we can't actually deal with this problem. And it's, it's harming the people at the border. It's harming those kids. And it's also harming our country. Speaking of difficult challenges and interesting fights to watch. Cardi B is slandering Candace's family, Candace Owens. Candace is really, really taking it in stride and uh, really wrecking uh, poor old Cardi B. Well, if you want more Candace Owens, this is a great week for you. Candace, no stranger to controversy. She's got no fear when it comes to speaking her mind. We saw this yesterday as she renewed her fight with Cardi B uh, over the, the WAP, you know, and the WAP and whatever. Uh, for more great entertainment, you should tune into her new talk show, Candace, starting this Friday, March 19th. The show will be exclusive to Daily Wire members, but you can get a new membership now for 25% off with code Candace over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. If you want a full recap of the Cardi Candace Twitter feud, join Candace, yours truly, and the rest of the Daily Wire crew tomorrow night for our latest edition of Backstage, which you can watch at dailywire.com or on the Daily Wire YouTube channel. Tune in tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. here in Nashville at dailywire.com or the Daily Wire YouTube channel. Don't forget, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Candace for 25% off. We'll be right back with a lot more. CBS News reporting that over 13,000 unaccompanied minors are being held in U.S. custody for an average of 120 hours, which is much longer than the 72 hours permitted by law. More migrants are attempting to cross into the U.S. now than at any time in the past 20 years. This according to the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Worse than it's ever been on every single front. Whose fault is it, Jen Psaki? Why, it's obvious. It's Trump's fault. There were lawyers who interviewed some children that were in facilities. The children described sleeping on the floor, being hungry, not, being, not seeing the sun for days. How is that acceptable for the Biden administration to keep children in those sorts of conditions, given the fact that you said you, you were an administration that was going to be more humane than the previous one? Well, these, let me first say this is um, heartbreaking. Uh, it's a very emotional issue for a lot of people, um, and it's very difficult 
and challenging. And obviously, these TBP facilities are not made for kids. So one of the reasons uh, or a driving reason why uh, the president has pushed to take all of the actions that I outlined earlier when Phil asked the question is because we want to expedite getting these kids out of these TBP facilities as quickly as possible. And that's our goal and our objective, and into shelters as quickly as possible, then into sponsored homes while their cases are being considered and adjudicated. Uh, we are trying to work through what was a dismantled and unprepared system because of the the, F, the role of the last administration. Hold on. <laughs> We're trying to work through what was a dismantled and unprepared system. I thought that the criticism of the past administration was that they were too good at putting kids in cages. I thought the problem was that the system of border security under Trump was too good, right? That it was so inhumane because they were just nabbing all these kids and they weren't letting them f- f- go into the country. They were grabbing them and imprisoning them in cages, remember? Cages that coincidentally the Obama-Biden administration built. Now you're telling me that the system wasn't good enough. So it was a lax immigration system. Which is it? Doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter which it is. They're going to attack Trump for opposite reasons. Just like we were talking about it at the top of the show. You, you see the left levying attacks on the West generally and the church specifically for opposite reasons because they just don't care. The arguments aren't the point. The consequence, the effect, the attack is the point in itself. So Jen Psaki blaming Trump, whoopsie daisy. The, the, the real fault here, of course, it lays with the Biden administration. You can't blame Trump anymore. We're now several months in to the Biden administration. And by the way, the original policy, Joe Biden bears a fair amount of responsibility for anyway. The reporter, to her credit, pushes back. And I understand the idea of these facilities not being designed by children, but children being hungry, sleeping on the floor, not being allowed outside for days at a time. Why is that acceptable to go on even for one more day? Why is that something that's not being outlawed right now? How is the administration not stopping that today? Well, Yamisha, it's not acceptable. But I think the challenge here is that there are only there are not that many options. Oh, you don't say. You don't say, Jen Psaki, there are not that many options. Because I remember, I'm thinking way back in the Trump administration, a lot of people come to the border. We then have to figure out what to deal with them. What the left wanted, what they were encouraging Trump to do was just let everybody in, but the law won't let you do that. Even if Trump wanted to, and it would be a bad idea to do that, but the law won't let you do it. Now, these kids are often with people who are posing as their relatives, but who often aren't their relatives. They can be coyotes. They can be just sort of random people mashed together because they know that the immigration system goes easier on, on people who have children with them. So just as the Biden administration is doing, you have to vet who are these adults who are with the minors. Now the adults go to, uh, facilities that are administered by the police, right? By CBP, by other agencies. The, the children should not be going to the jails, right? You'd, I think we all agree on the left. We don't want the children to be sitting in the jails. So the children would go to places administered by health and human services. But that would require a separation. And you need a separation anyway, because you got to vet who these people are. Because you don't know, because they're entering your country illegally. What are we going to do then? We're going to send some people back. That's not acceptable. We're, we're going to let some people in the country. That's not acceptable either. There aren't that many options. So now, not only has the Biden administration not made anything better, 
the Biden administration has made this situation much, much worse. And what does Jen Psaki say? She says, look, you know, it's hard. It's tough. And that ultimately, I think all of the Biden arguments come back to that. He isn't doing anything more effectively or efficient than President Trump. And he has different policy goals, but even in some very basic instances where you have to have some kind of a border, he's, he's not doing any of it better, but he's got better intentions, right? That, that's what Jen Psaki was asked this a week or two ago. She was asked, do you think that Biden has a messaging problem here down at the border? She said, well, the past administration had a morality problem. Uh, okay. But what, you know, what about like what's actually happening? Like, sure, I get that you feel like you're, you're on the moral high ground and you can be very sanctimonious and you've got the purest of intentions. But lady, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. How come your policies in practice are so much worse? Yeah, maybe they're worse in practice. But in my intentions, they're really, really good. So you got to let us off the hook. Not a lot of options. I'm so glad that we can admit that. I, I can't wait for the apology letters to file, flow into President Trump down in Florida. Speaking of options, Elliot Page is an actress, formerly known as Ellen Page. I've never seen any of her movies. Didn't really remember that she existed, but then she got a whole bunch of publicity uh, because she decided that now she's a man and her name is Elliot. And she's now on the cover of Time magazine. Chalk another one up to the white supremacist patriarchy. You had a lesbian woman who was getting roles in Hollywood, who had gotten some attention. And now all of her roles, all of her attention going to a straight white man. That's absolutely outrageous, isn't it? She writes, we know who we are. People cling to these firm ideas about gender because it makes people feel safe. But if we could just celebrate all the wonderful complexities of people, the world would be a much better place. I agree with the back part of that. If we could just celebrate all the wonderful complexities of people, the world would be a much better place. But people like Ellen Page, Elliot Page now, and people who are pushing this transgender ideology refuse to deal in the complexities of people. It is complex when a young boy behaves in some ways that you might say are feminine. That is a complexity of life. It's a complexity that's always existed and it's true of just about everybody. It is complex when a woman has sexual desire for another woman. That is a complex thing because in the normal course of events, a woman would have sexual desire for men. But sometimes because of the complexity of our world, it's a little different. It is a gross oversimplification of that complexity to say that if the boy ever reaches for a pink t-shirt, then he's really a girl. And you've got to mutilate him and pump him full of hormones and make him appear a little bit more like a girl. That is not complicating our understanding of human nature. It is simplifying it. We know who we are, she says. I don't think she does. I don't think any of us do. It, it comes back though to these heresies that pervade modern life. Uh, it actually comes back to the, the sin that caused the fall of man, which is pride. This idea that I know better than anybody else. I know human nature better than Aristotle. I know 
the relationship of the body to the soul better than uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. I know the reality of sex better than um, every single person who lived before like 2004. I, I know. I know who I am. And, and it comes back to this real error, which unfortunately, the, the reason I mention this here is because this is an error that pervades our politics. This error that we own our bodies. We don't own our bodies. We did not create our bodies. Our bodies are, to borrow a phrase from Rush Limbaugh, on loan from God. We don't, we don't decide when we come into this world and we're probably not going to decide how we go out of this world. We are stewards of uh, this free gift of creation. We are stewards of ourselves. We, we have been given this gift of ourself by God. Uh, we have intellect, we have will, and we have obligations to our creator. Our, you don't have to go back to the Middle Ages you know, to, to see these kinds of ideas uh, in, being understood in a widespread manner. You, you see it in the Declaration of Independence. Our creator endows us with certain unalienable rights. And those are wonderful privileges. And as part of that, there are certain obligations and we come together and we form a polity for these purposes. And we have duty to one another and we sacrifice and we get these great privileges. Hey, wonderful. But what Elliot Page is now referring to, I know who I am, I'm really a boy. That is an ancient heresy. It's called Gnostic dualism. It's the idea that the body and the soul have nothing to do with one another. So my body, I look like, Ellen, I, Ellen Page looks exactly like a girl, but deep down somewhere in a non-physical space, metaphysically, she knows that she is a boy and therefore she is now a boy. What's so weird though, is while the left is pushing that heresy, this idea that the physical has nothing to do with reality, they're also pushing the opposite heresy, materialism. The idea that we are nothing more than bags of meat sort of walking around the streets and we are nothing more than the sum total of our desires and our desires are not rational. They're just pistons firing in our brains. So if it feels good, do it because there's no such thing as a moral order. We're all just stuff and we're going to die and we're going to turn to worm food and take a dirt nap someday. These are opposite heresies. They, they are mutually exclusive. The left pushes them at the same time for the same reason that we've been talking about from the top of the show. Because the arguments themselves do not matter to the left. It's only the final goal, which is the upending of society, which uh, until recently was grounded on the true understanding of what human beings are, which is body and soul, inextricably linked in this world. The technical term for it from old um, uncle Aristotle is hylomorphism. We're, there's this spiritual component to who we are, this metaphysical component, and there's also this physical component. I do have a body. I do live in space and time. That is the only idea you're not allowed to hold, according to the radical left these days, because that's, that's the only idea that's true. Halsey, who I don't, I don't know who this is. I think she's a YouTuber. Uh, she is a, a, and a pop singer. I don't know. She's someone who has a blue check mark and is fairly prominent. She is now changing her pronouns to she and they, she slash they on, on uh, social media bios. And this is receiving a lot of praise. Uh, I mentioned this one not to, not to talk about it too much, only, <laughs> only because we're, we're now not only uh, having, you know, he identify as she, we're also having objects identify as subjects, right? <laughs> we're in, in the uh, actual uh, 
language jargon, we're having the accusative case identify as the nominative case <laughs> because you'd think if she's going to do, okay, she's she, that's like, okay, she does this. It would be she and them, right? Because it's she, usually it would be she slash her, but now it's she slash they. So now even that last rule that, you know, objects, even that one's gone now. Pretty soon the bios will just be blah, 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 because at, you can see it advancing in real time. Words are losing their meaning, which is ultimately the goal so that we can't reason. Orwell writes about this beautifully in 1984. He says the the, the Ingsoc regime, the big brother regime thrives on all sorts of things, you know, changing the language through newspeak and the surveillance, but especially through double think. The the idea that they will, that the regime will force you to hold mutually contradictory ideas in your head at the same time. So in your head, you've got to hold the idea that two plus two equals four and two plus two equals five, let's say, just to pull an example out. If you hold those ideas in your head at the same time, it makes you unable and unwilling to think rationally. If you have to hold the idea in your mind that our true selves have nothing to do with our bodies and our true selves are just our bodies and nothing more, and you have to hold those in your head at exactly the same time, you can't think rationally. And that is ultimately, ultimately the goal because what political correctness or wokeism or cancel culture, whatever you want to call these left-wing ideologies or left-wing instruments, they are ultimately less about the arguments they're making than the imposition of the rules. That's why the PC jargon changes all the time. It doesn't really matter what jargon you're using. It's the imposition of it. Can these ideologues weaken your understanding of the world so much that you are vulnerable for them to impose their will, not their intellect, not their arguments, but their will on you. Speaking of tyrants imposing their will on you, at least one of those tyrants is about to face his comeuppance. Gavin Newsom, Mussolini, governor of my erstwhile state, California, was just on The View. Gavin Newsom is facing a real recall challenge. We've been reporting on this every now and again, you know, he needed to get one and a half million signatures or the, his opponents needed to get one and a half million signatures to recall him and, uh, you know, force an election. When he had 1.1 million, I said, maybe it'll happen. They're going to invalidate a lot of signatures. Then we get to 1.5, then two. Now it's over two and a half million, I believe. He goes on The View to try to burnish his PR and his image. Whoopi Goldberg begins the questioning. Now you're in the process of being recalled by constituents, some constituents who say they have more than 2 million signatures to force a special election against you. Now Democrats, including President Biden, are standing by you. I want to know, as a former Californian person, what is this really about? Because I think you've done a pretty damn good job in this gigantic state of keeping it together. In, in circumstances where you didn't get a lot of help. So what is this really about and are you concerned? Hold on, we got to pause it there before we, we get to his answer. Uh, what? <laughs> what was that, Whoopi? Were you, have you, I, I spent a lot of time in California this past year before I fled because of the stupid policies of that guy in no small part. He's one of the worst governors in the country. The only worst governor would be Andy Cuomo and that's not exactly a high bar. But Whoopi, she sounds very convincing, right? She's just saying, look, you did a great job, you know, and you're so great, Gavin Newsom. 
just, just a reminder that Whoopi Goldberg, who I, you know, in terms of left-wingers, I kind of like her. Uh, she does this. She just says things that are manifestly not true, but she says them very confidently. And only occasionally does she get called out for it. She was saying this uh, not so long ago when she was advocating that Dr. Jill Biden, who has an administrative doctorate uh, as a teacher, should be the Surgeon General. I'm hoping yeah. Dr. Jill becomes the Surgeon General. His wife. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe Biden's wife, because she, you know, she he would it. never do it. But she, she, yeah, she's a hell of a doctor. She's an amazing doctor. I she's I just a doctor like, and PhD. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I, don't, oh, I, don't I could know. be wrong. Maybe I thought she was. Yeah, a I think she's, she's, she's oh. a teacher, but you know, <laughs> but you know, but yeah, I mean, she's a teacher. It's also, I don't think it's a PhD either. I think it's this specific sort of administrative doctorate, uh, which would uh, I, I, I don't know if that qualifies her less or more to perform surgery, but either way, she's not qualified to do it. But the, the way Whoopi does it, see, it's kind of convincing because she doubles down. She has no idea what she's talking about. But she goes, yeah, I think she should be the Surgeon General. Woo! And then all the people in the audience at The View are like, yeah, she totally should. And then <laughs> was it Joy Behar? It's like, are you, Whoopi, are you sure she's a, oh yeah, oh, she's a hell of a surgeon. Oh my gosh, she's a gr- she's a hell of a doctor. Oh, she's great. Yeah. Whoopi, I think it, I think she's a teacher. Oh, I could be wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, you could be, and you're wrong about Gavin Newsom too. All of that a digression. Gavin, what's your answer? Uh, look, I, I appreciate that. As you noted correctly, this is the sixth effort, and I've only been in office 25 months. Just in 25 months, there's been six efforts to put a recall uh, on the ballot. This one appears to have the requisite signatures. This started before the pandemic. If you look at the list of grievances from the proponents of this campaign, it goes to our values. It's it's less about me, it's more about California and our values, Democratic Party values, issues related to the browning of California, immigration, issues related to low carbon green growth, our climate policies, issues related to our advancement uh, to end the, you know, death penalty or increase the minimum wage or advance pay equity. And so I say that quite literally, that's what's at stake in this election, in this recall. Guys like me come and go. At the end of the day, these principles are what we're fighting for. I love that his defense is, oh no, man, they've been trying to recall me from the beginning. Oh yeah, man, they've tried it like six times. I'm such a bad governor. (laughs) They've been doing this for years. The COVID didn't help, you know. Uh, But Obviously, sure, they, he's a terrible governor anyway, and so they were trying to recall him. The campaign only took off after COVID. That is why people who are not just Republicans, Democrats, and independents too, are trying to recall him. So what he's trying to do is make this a referendum on the Democratic Party agenda, not on his gross incompetence. And so he's saying, look, it's about the death penalty. You know, hey, it's about browning California, just making an explicit racial play, right? Yeah, it's about all that. So just, you know, vote for me. He, he might hang on. I mean, he'll probably be recalled, but he, he might, he might keep his job in the sense that he is a crafty politician. California is a blue state. And I, I wouldn't count the guy out yet. Same thing with uh, Cuomo. Cuomo right now, I've been saying it from the beginning. I said, this guy doesn't look good for him. You know, maybe he's out, but but if anyone can hold on, it's Andy Cuomo. There's a Siena College poll released on, uh, on Monday saying that 35% of New Yorkers want Andrew Cuomo to resign. Just 35%. Even after all this, it's only 35%. Most importantly here, only 25% of self-identified Democrats want Cuomo to resign. 
Six in 10 Democrats and half of all New Yorkers think that Cuomo should not resign. And that's why Cuomo is making this play. He's saying, I wasn't elected by the politicians. I was elected by you, the people. And that's why I, it's not even like, I'm just doing a generic New York. The, the actual Cuomo accent is more, it's kind of like more like uh, Al Pacino in The Godfather 1. Sound a little bit higher, a little softer, but regardless of his, uh, the way he says it, what he is saying is that he's going to make an appeal to the people, not to the politicians. And as I mentioned at the time, when everyone was laughing at him, it's a good play. In New York, there is actually a chance he might survive it. A big day in New York is St. Patty's Day because there are a lot of Irish people in New York. I actually, despite my appearance, am a quarter Irish. Uh, I, I know I don't necessarily look it, but I, uh, I do identify that way though. And I am actually a quarter Irish. My culture is not your costume, folks. When you go out and get hammered today and you throw on green, you know, green shirts and hats and stuff and start punching each other in the street and just slamming beers left and right, I want you to know my culture is not your costume. Okay. But I probably, you're not going to hear any complaints about the cultural appropriation of the Irish because of course it is a, uh, not just a double standard. It's an absolutely frivolous political strategy. And maybe when we notice that, when we see everyone, you know, guzzling beer and punching each other today on St. Patty's Day, and no one's going to talk about cultural appropriation, maybe we can realize the rest of it is BS too. It's just a weapon. It's an instrument to divide us. And uh, I think uh, it would be worthwhile if we could overcome our fear of being called racists and thisist and thatist and uh, stand up against that kind of stuff because it is a a vicious strategy. It's anti-American, but it's working. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. A major pop star who admitted publicly to drugging and robbing men has not been canceled for it. Columbia University is working towards racial equality by holding segregated graduation ceremonies. Sharon Osbourne faces the repercussions of briefly disagreeing with the left. Marvel announces their new gay Captain America. And we'll discuss the rampant cultural appropriation that's taking place today on St. Patrick's Day. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show.